It was the late 90s, and graphics cards and PCs were quickly becoming a thing. Wanting to take advantage of this new technology, Creative Assembly decided to design a real-time strategy game with 3D rendered landscapes from a 3D perspective. It was unlike any real-time strategy game up until this point. It was beautiful. It was tactical. There were up to 10,000 units on the screen, the scale of which just blew my mind. Shogun Total War was a technological leap for real-time strategy games. Today we're going to be taking a look back at the development of Shogun Total War, talk about the game itself, and even talk briefly about Sun Tzu's Art of War. So stick around and join us for today's tactical trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 42nd episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game itself, what it took from the world around it, or what it gave back to it. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who, for as long as I've known him, has always fancied himself a samurai of sorts. My brother, Rob Casson. So, Rob, you've been contributing to that, uh, that, that war, that campaign to unite all the warring states of Japan. How's that all coming along? Well, some of them are holding out, but we're getting there. Pretty soon. It'll all be under our rule. Very true. Those, those feuding warlords... They are just such an unruly bunch. They never, they never want to follow suit, ever. Ever. They sure don't, but we're getting there. Only time will tell, or whatever history crap I'm supposed to tell you there, so. Nah, bloodshed. Yeah, pretty much. That's what'll uh, get us there. Flashy swords. <laughs> Tom Cruise? Sure. Wasn't he in the samurai? Wasn't he the last samurai? Oh, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, it's uh, been roughly a week since we've sat down here at a podcast. How you been? Uh, I've been pretty good. Exhausted, but otherwise alive. You know, how about you? It, it's too hot already. What the hell happened? Well, you but, live in the swamp. It, But it's hot everywhere, isn't it? It's not like it's not hot for you. I mean, yeah, it's been in the 80s. It's been kind of kind of rough, but I mean... Yay, global warming. We already have a tropical uh, disturbance in the Gulf that they're like right now 40% chance of forming in the next two days. Hell yeah. So we might have our first little tropical storm of the year coming out this way. So that's fun. Looking forward to that. Gotta not buy groceries because that's what you do. Starve. So your food doesn't go to waste. Is that how it goes? Mm Mm-hmm. You didn't know, did you? No, I thought you bought food so you didn't starve. Well, you can't buy refrigerated food. You have to stock up oh. on not non-perishable goods. That makes sense, yeah, because if the power goes out, which it probably will. Which which is fine, because the last time we stocked up on non-perishables was when the pandemic started, so it's been a while that we have to make a non-perishable run. Well, you know, there's also these crazy things they make called generators. 
yeah, I need to buy one this year. I haven't put it off, but I definitely need to buy one this year. So, well, in the last week, what you been playing? I haven't played a whole lot this last week. So, uh, if I'm really thinking about it, all I can really say is uh, RuneScape and Rocket League. RuneScape and Rocket League. Hmm. And yourself? I finished Uncharted 4, and that will do it. I played Rocket League with you, so there's some Rocket League. I think I played like an hour of Valheim just to relax and build something, but I got frustrated, so I quit because it wasn't relaxing. And I haven't really touched my VR headset this week, so that's out. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's got to be about it. I mean, Uncharted was the most substantial, you know, video game playing I'd done in a while now that it's done. So, yeah, fun times. I don't know what's next. I I don't know what's... I do know what's next. I do know. I finally bought Borderlands 3 for the PC, and I'm trying to get my bestie to play it with me because he hasn't played it yet, so... I uh, I played through it when it first came out with my wife on the Xbox because that's a us series, but I've been meaning to play back it on PC, you know, with with my PC friends and haven't gotten around to it. But now that I have it, that's the plan to play Borderlands. What uh, what client is that on? Uh, I have it on Epic, but it's crossplay now because they did they switched to the Shift system. And uh, shift is crossplay across all the platforms. So, oh hell yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter. But yep, so Borderlands, Borderlands is is the plan. So I was I was planning on spending my day tomorrow doing it because uh, I don't normally go into the office uh, in the middle of the week, but uh, I have to tomorrow. So I don't know if I'll get a chance to. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. But anyways, we're not here to talk about modern games. Our game today uh, is a PC strategy game that was released in North America back on the 13th of June 2000, 21 years ago. It's finally old enough to have alcohol in the United States. And that would be Shogun Total War. Now, I know you don't have a lot of experience with Total War, which is shocking. Absolutely shocking. I have played quite a few games in the series, although not so much the modern ones. I'd say I haven't played uh, Hadn't, you know, before picking it up for a little bit to just refresh my memory here. I guess also I played this, but uh, anyways, um, I hadn't picked up a Total War game and I don't know, it, it might, it maybe has been a decade, but anyways. Shogun Total War. That's what we're talking about today. What do you know about Shogun Total War? I know that it's like Civ, but you fight the battles in real time. Sure. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) That's That's all I got. (laughs) That's about it. Well, the Total War series was created by the development studio Creative Assemblies. Um, You know, with that being said, it's really amazing because if you go and look back at the early days of the studio... You'd never know that they were going to create anything like this, which is now one of the longest and most award-winning strategy PC game series uh, ever. Creative Assembly was founded back in 1987, 
And in the beginning, they worked mostly on porting games from Amiga to DOS. Uh, some of their early porting gems included Blood Money, Infestation, and Stunt Car Racer. All stellar titles. I'm sure you've heard of every single one of them. Yeah, no. I, I can't say I've heard of a single one of them. Not even Stunt Car Racer? Um, I mean, maybe no. not that Stunt Car Racer, but I've heard of like <laughs> games similar. <laughs> well, like, 19 one stuntman, I think it was called. I still have those. Um, I still have those. But anyway, back in '93, Creative Assembly began working with Electronic Arts, producing titles under their EA Sports label. Among the titles they worked on uh, included AFL '98, which is the Australian Football League, which they have their own weird rules. In case you didn't know. Uh, Rugby World Cup 95, uh, Cricket World Cup 99, and probably most notably, FIFA International Soccer. The very first FIFA game, Creative Assemblies worked on porting it to MS-DOS, because it was originally a Sega Genesis or Sega Master System game. 93 would have been... I don't really remember. Anyway, they ported it to MS-DOS, so they worked on the first FIFA, so... All of these games, despite us not knowing about AFL or rugby or Cricket World Cup because we're American, we don't pay attention to non-American things, these were all very successful titles. And developing these titles for EA built them up some trust and goodwill. And so what they did is they wanted to work on something else. So Creative Assembly split up their team and started a second development team that was going to work on, as they called it, alternative low-business risk products for the company. It was around this time that RTS was a... a I mean, it was a pretty popular PC genre. This is about when Command & Conquer was really popular. You had Warcraft, which was really popular. Um, there were a lot of companies trying to capitalize on the trend of real-time strategy games. And so what the second development team wanted to do was they were looking to create, as they put it, a B-title RTS game. You know, they weren't, they weren't looking to make a, a AAA title. They knew what they were. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But this was a really unique period, and we've talked about this time and time again. Games that were made in the 90s, all, not just games that were made in the 90s, but everything about this industry in the 90s was you know technology was progressing super super fast um you know we've talked about it with first person shooters how we've seen graphical jumps here and there you know we, we talked about it briefly when we talked about uh vr um and, and so on and so forth but more specifically as it relates to this game 3d graphics cards were really just starting to take off in the late 90s we didn't, we didn't have dedicated graphics cards before that period. And so as they were working on this game, Creative Assembly decided that they were going to take advantage of 3D graphics cards. And so what they decided right early on is that they were, they were going to move the game from 2D, which was, which was kind of the, the way most of the other RTS games were at the time, to complete 3D graphics, you know, 3D environments, 3D rendered landscapes, 3D characters, uh, so on and so forth. 
And as they began to experiment with 3D graphics and put together battle units on these 3D rendered landscapes, they realized that they were working on something that was perhaps a little more substantial than just, you know, what they thought they had in the beginning. They no longer had, as they put it, the B-title RTS game. This wasn't a simple, low-risk business product. This was going to be something different. So, as part of this change, they decided to do something different with the camera settings as well. If you think about... You you know Command & Conquer Warcraft, don't you? Command & Conquer, yes. I've never played Warcraft. but I, never, I've heard of it, but I've never played it. You've really never played a Warcraft? Nope. That's, that's, have you played... Well, World I mean, one. Like, World of Warcraft, yes. So you have played World of Warcraft. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, I played a trial version, like, 15 years ago, but I could never justify buying it, so. Well, okay, but you've never actually played the real-time strategy Warcraft series 1 through 3. I didn't know that was a thing, in all honesty. Seriously? Man. I sometimes forget... That you're old? That I'm old, yeah. (laughs) You really didn't know that Warcraft was a real-time strategy series in the beginning? I know. I had no idea. Oh, come on. Like, that's the greatest thing. You freaking have, like, the orcs and the, the, the humans that would say the most ridiculous things. Um, uh, uh, you really never heard any of them? Oh. Huh. Ask me again. I'll tell you the same answer. No, I'm just so in awe of the fact that you, you don't know. Like, it's just so mind-blowing to it's like uh when was the last one that i pried on you were like doesn't matter how many times you ask it's still gonna be a no dave you're doing it to me again but i god what was the last one that i was so amazed it just amazes me so much sometimes yeah so warcraft was a real-time strategy series it was like the real-time strategy series have you even played have you played starcraft tell me you played starcraft negatory You've never played StarCraft either. Nope. I am such a flippin' failure. I said that before the last time we did this, too. Oh, my goodness. I'm pretty sure it literally was StarCraft the last time, too. It probably was StarCraft. And these are, like, the OG RTS games. Like, the ones that, like, made the genre. Uh, No, Age of Empires. I was amazed because you, yep. you, you've you never played Age of Empires, and that was one of my absolute favorite freaking series. I loved Age of Empires. Just as a side See, note... I played games that were developed off of that. I mean, like I said, obviously Halo Wars, Halo Wars 2. Uh, yeah. We mentioned Tom Clancy's End War, End Game, End War. Hey, Watch. something and really... And also there was a very nice Lord of the Rings one, too. There was Battle for Middle-Earth. That's it, yep. Yeah, Love you, that re- shit. you really liked that one. Um, so the first uh, side note, the first Halo Wars was made by um, pretty sure it was made by Ensemble Studios, the the the, bu- the Bungie uh, guys. But Halo Wars 2 was made by Creative Assembly, the same guys who made this game. So uh, if I'm not mistaken here, I'm going to peek at their whatchamacallit and see if I'm correct. And verdict says Halo Wars 2 2017. I do know my stuff a little bit sometimes, so I amaze myself. Uh, we need to get you into those sometime. I finally got you playing Diablo. That's a start. But uh, Warcraft and Starcraft are literally like the OG uh, 
real-time strategy games. They're great. All right. Most real-time strategy games have a top-down perspective back then. I, you know, I... Oh, your Tom Clancy's End War is a real-time strategy game, too, so... I mean, yeah, I would... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go. And it was the only one to this day that I'm aware of that actually used voice commands to control your units. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That was pretty neat. Oh, yeah, it was. (laughs) Ah, something like that would be cool in VR, wouldn't it? Like hell could... yeah, the like the commander view over top looking down issuing commands. It would be like commander simulator. Yeah, it'd be so cool. We should work on making that. Well, hey, you got the the design background, and I got the nothing. That's so, good yeah. team. Yeah, we make a good team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back to Total War. Yeah, so instead of the top-down perspective that was really popular with other RTS games, they wanted to, essentially what we were just talking about, they decided to opt for a perspective as if you were a general on the battlefield. And so this really limited how far the player could see and changed the style of the game. And what they found is when they implemented this, that controlling individual units was really difficult from this perspective. And so they changed their approach and decided that they were going to approach this from a tactical standpoint in which you were controlling entire units or its units in this, but you can call them battalions or, you know, what companies, whatever, whatever phrase you need to use. But suddenly you were commanding, you know, a hundred, a thousand, you know, troops at a time instead of individual units like most RTSs. So. It was this approach that would, you, frankly, it's a historical approach. It's 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 not a traditional real time strategy approach, and this would become really the defining characteristic for the Total War series. But they didn't really have enough with just the real time battles. These battles were super cool, but they, as they were working through it, you know, they found that they were very short, and they needed something to tie it together and make people give a crap about the battles. And so what they came up with was a campaign map. And this was more of a strategic overview that basically showed you what you were fighting for. So it's kind of like you talked in the beginning where you have a Civ type over map, which is true. You know, in this case, it's Japan and you have Japan with all the, the, the warring states. And you would move your pieces and your battle, you know, your battle stuff around. And every time the battle, the enemies got together, they would actually, they would actually fight. So they chose at this point a feudal Japanese setting, hence the Shogun, because a they thought it was cool. Uh, you know, they were fans of uh, Kara Kurosawa in the group, uh, who does famous uh, samurai films, um, and so you had that, and. Uh, also, the time period, the feudal Japanese time period, the Sengoku period, you had a lot of different factions that were fighting to bring Japan together under one rule. And so it allowed for, well, variety, frankly. Um, plus, about this time, you had gunpowder introduced in Japan, which they thought was cool because it really allowed them to mess around with the game's technology tree and it, it just they narrowed on this period as being something that was super cool, you know, to work with. In order to make it as authentic as possible, 
the Creative Assembly actually enlisted the aid of a historic uh, a historian, a military historian named Stephen Turnbull. Uh, so they had some credence there. Uh, you know, a guy who actually, and even to this day, he specializes in Japanese military history, uh, as well as they brought together elements of what's perhaps one of the most famous novels for warfare of all time, literally The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And so they took The Art of War, they integrated it into the AI of the game, and so the computer-controlled factions made more authentic decisions, and so on and so forth. And so they kind of brought this all together to make to make Shogun Total War, which is really kind of cool, actually. Uh, yeah, no, that that's definitely interesting. I mean, I I definitely think that Art of War is something that I should read. But oh yeah, that's what you took from this. We're gonna we're gonna skip the video game aspect. We're gonna go right to the book. Well, I'm just uh, saying, like, to know like how you take elements from the book to incorporate into a game like obviously you have like your fantasies or like your historical happenings that are easy to make into games but like i don't know enough about the art of war as as a literature to know how do you take elements of it and put it into a game beyond just the teachings used within it like were there certain like things depicted in the book that were then like translated into the game or like well, yeah, so so The Art of War, I, I'll give you a brief history of it. So you've got me on this. Uh, I wasn't planning this today, so if I stumble a little bit on it, I apologize, but I'll make it quick. So The Art of War is a, thir- a book divided into 13 chapters. Um, Sun Tzu was a, well, master son. He was a, ch- a Chinese military general. He wrote this book, 13 chapters. Okay, I'm not going to go into Sun Tzu. I'll cover some of the chapters just really briefly, their title and maybe what they are, which maybe help may help you understand. Also know that this book has been translated every which way, and these title these chapter titles are gonna kind of vary. But like chapter one is called Laying Plans. Uh which he he basically he says there's five fundamental factors that determine the, the outcome of military engagements, the way, the seasons, the terrain, the leadership, and the management. So he just lays the groundwork, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he goes into chapter two is typically called waging war. Basically, it's initiating battle. Um, chapter three is called planning an attack. And so he believes that there are five factors that are needed to succeed in any war. Uh, among the, the, these factors are called attack, strategy, alliances, army, and cities. I mean, can you think about all the RTS games you play and how these are like the basic things in all of them? Attack, strategy, alliances, army, and cities. I mean, how simple does it get? You know what I mean? And uh, hearing that laid out, it definitely correlates to a lot of these games, these RTS games, or even just, you know, military games in general. I mean, Right. You think of actual war and one of the biggest things making allies and capturing cities. Yep. Uh, chapter five, I'll skip around. Chapter five is called Use of Energy, which explains the use of creativity and timing and building an army's momentum. Maneuvering an army is another chapter, which explains the dangers of direct conflict and how to win those confrontations, which in some ways, because the next chapter is variation of tactics includes not using direct conflict, which is something this game does really, really well. Um, there's also things, there's a whole chapter on attack by fire, and a whole chapter on the use of spies. Uh, so, I mean, like, 
he just he laid it out and they took all these things and just uh and 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 just uh and just used it in AI and you can like I said you can see it everywhere uh we ha- i mean i've studied it as part of military history classes and it's it's really fascinating uh so yeah so sun tzu art of war impromptu book book tests so so sun tzu's elements can be really found in the main campaign of shogun total war which basically in the main campaign you choose a clan and you work to eliminate all the other feuding clans and therefore become the shogun um, of a feudal Japan. You're basically the daimyo, which is the feudal warlord. So you're the warlord in terms of the clan, and the daimyos, you know, were in charge of their, their factions and would fight, and whoever unified became the shogun. Um, and it was historically accurate. That was the one thing about bringing Stephen Turnbull in. You know, there were uh, various historical provinces... In each province, just like, and I'm going to say Civ because it's easy for you to relate to. I know you can relate to. You can cultivate farmland. You can construct watchtowers. You can construct a castle. There were certain provinces that had certain natural resources that you would have to build mines to tap into. You could build ports on uh, coastal provinces to, to do trade. Uh, the castle would have the space to build various military buildings, which would allow you to build different units and agents. And by agents, I mean like assassins and spies. Um, castles could be upgraded, you know, to, to become more resilient to sieges. And uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the developing of the, the provinces itself is, is more broad scopes. And what it is, is as you built these units, you know, during each turn, you can move them across the map. You could move them from one province to another each turn. So you could move a, a, a unit of spearmen, you know, or archers or uh, some cavalry. Um, you would also have a general. That general's honor rating he had would raise or fall with, with wins or, or, or losses. And then if a general repeatedly endures defeat, at one point he would commit seppuku. Do you know what seppuku is? It is the art of suicide through the slicing of the abdomen with a samurai. Uh, with yeah. a, uh, yes, uh, what, what is the, the blade called? Uh, uh, what is the blade thinking? called? Oh my god. Katana. Is it a katana? katana? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, so there was a lot of fun things going in there. All the other faction daimyos and their heirs were also represented as generals, and so if a daimyo's killed and has no heirs, that's when the faction's eliminated from the game, so. And like I said, there were other agents, there were emissaries, you didn't always, I I mentioned spies, and I mentioned assassins, but there were also emissaries, so you could negotiate alliances or, or ask for ceasefires, or you could bribe the enemy, uh, or bribe neutral armies to join your faction. And and then again, you know, there were ninjas to do assassinations. Uh, and then you also had shinobis, which could spy on enemy provinces. Or be, if you left them in your own province, they would be a counter spy. Or could you destabilize the banks in order to create more clones for the Republic? <laughs> they should do a Star Wars Total War. That'd be pretty cool. That would be badass yeah well you know um 
I'll, I'll save that because I'm going to go into because there's a lot of Total Wars um, and I've owned I've owned quite a few of them. So we'll kind of get into that in the end. So, yeah, so you moved your armies around and then when you armies met, they would form a second area of gameplay. OK, real time, real time, real time strategy. They would you would actually go and you could skip it because don't get me wrong. At some point, you just get really tired of fighting these battles because they take a while. Like and when you just want to go. But when you like, you could also fight them. I got to tell you. So way back when this came out, those battles were by far the most impressive. Like, that was the draw to the game. Because, think Command & Conquer. Like, how many units are you used to seeing on Command & Conquer at a time? I mean, you maybe have, a, what, a, a dozen tanks versus a dozen tanks, or 20-20 type deal, something like that? Is that, a fair, is that fair? I would say so. In this game, there could each side could have up to 5,000 individual units. What? Yeah, exactly. And so, like, all of a sudden, you go from these little RTS games to 10,000 units on a battlefield coming against one another. And, like, legitimately coming against one another. Like, they would go at one another, and if they got taken down, the body would lay on the ground. And so, after a while, you would just have a pile of bodies on the ground. You would actually watch them fight. And it was, honestly, it was awesome. It was, it was. I mean, don't get me wrong, this game is clunky, this game is old, and there are newer, like, Shogun Total War 2, uh, the sequel to this, is way better of a game, way, way better of a game. Uh, I would recommend playing that over this one, I'm gonna say that right now. But, like, rose-colored glasses, we always talk about that. This game was amazing, because we had never seen anything remotely on this scale at all. It was literally like having a civilization game where you just had these giant battles you could play. And um, uh, I, it was awesome. I, I, I really loved it. Um, I really loved it. 2000 me, high school me would have really enjoyed this. So I did really enjoy this. Hell yeah. So yeah. Outside of the campaign mode, you could they, they would allow you to recreate other historical battles that we know of. There were samurai units, there were archer units, there were spearmen units, cavalry units, heavy infantry movement units. And look, like, units acted like real units. You could hide units in the trees. You could, and like, you, you would literally tell the game to line them up type deal. So you could line them up in, like, spears, or you can line them up in rows, or you could scatter them. Like when when archers came in, you wanted to scatter them and not line them up in rows because if you stagger them, is the word I'm looking for. If you stagger them, like they're less likely to get hit. There was just it was it was a tactical real time strategy game that was awesome, and like I I don't know you know like if you had cavalry coming at you you wanted to make sure they met your spearmen because if they met your archers you were going to lose every single archer because archers have no ability to to throw back a cavalry charge you know um you could do flanking maneuvers like I said you could hide in the woods like this game was awesome for for being an actual historically tactical game a at the time and and like I said, you know, the, the the teachings of Sun Tzu are in there. So the terrain of the battlefield affected it. The weather impact affected it. 
each unit had its own morale, which depending on how all these things came together, you know, would would determine how well they would fight. And if they had heavy casualties, their morale would go down, and then they'd they'd get routed. They'd they'd run. Your your units would freaking run out of there, and there was nothing like at at some point. There's nothing you could do to bring them back into it. Yeah, it was just there was just so many freaking cool things. There were so many freaking cool things about this game. I don't I don't know what else to say. I there it's awesome. It's awesome. I want to talk about the others, but I want to save it too. Because I want to specifically focus on this one at least a little bit more. Now, you all have sat here and for about 20 minutes or so, let me tell you about the game, its development, and rant about it. But as usual, we like to see what other people think about these games. And so we bring in critic reviews and user reviews from listeners like you and otherwise uh, to tell us what we, th- what we, not what we, you know what we think about the game, but to tell us what they think about the game. Uh... This is the part where I turn over to Rob, so you don't have to listen to me talk for an hour. Uh, so, Rob, I have brought you some reviews, starting with a critic review from GamePro. So, what did GamePro have to say? Well, Dave, GamePro said that as the daimyo of a 16th century clan fighting to unite Japan under a single ruler, this majestic 3D war game allows you to recreate six famous battles, roll your own or play out confrontations as they occur in the course of a less-than-majestic strategy game. The 3D is moody, the scale colossal, and the vast battles leave me full of feeling for the event. Shogun never lets you forget the terrible beauty of war. It's embodied in the sense of omnipotence when a huge enemy army appears out of the mist, its ranks extending to the horizon and bristling with weapons. It's in the thicket of arrows that invariably pierce the air when archers come within range. It's in the yells of charging soldiers mingling with the screams of the fallen. It's in the tiny corpses that litter the field afterwards. Computer games have always been better at communicating information than emotion, but the extraordinary detail in Shogun makes defeat seem utterly tragic. It's a defining moment for real-time strategy, and a game whose pure sense of spectacle will appear even to non-strategists. Well, I mean, it's pretty much what I just said. All how cool the the uh, the battles are. Uh, yeah, I forgot about the mist. There, there were really, I mean, like you never wanted to fight in the rain. You always started at disadvantage. I mean, and and honestly, the enemies were at a disadvantage too when it rained. You know, morale was going to be low across the board, so it was kind of an equal. Uh, it was kind of an equal which call it, but the weather sucked. And you always wanted the high ground. Every time you could always get the high ground. I mean, that's a given when it comes to battle. But uh, I mean, literally in this game, it it affected it. It, it affected. So, all right. Yeah, so what? Over, don't you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did IGN have to say? Well, Dave, IGN had to say that Shogun Total War really is the best of both worlds. It combines a real-time tactical combat system with a turn-based strategic game. By far, the battle game is the better design of the two sides of Shogun, but the turn-based management aspects are rewarding in their own right. All of the action takes place against the backdrop of feudal Japan. You and your rival Daimyo will fight it out to determine who will eventually take control of the whole of Japan and be declared Shogun. The heart of this game is in the tactical battles, with up to 10,000 units on the screen at once, Shogun is everything that Braveheart should have been. Lots and lots of guys running at each other with pointy things. 
The sheer sense of mass and chaos is fantastic and rendered better here than in any other game I've ever seen. Your armies will literally crash into each other and you'll begin to see the bodies start piling up. Shogun is a remarkable game and definitely worth getting. So many historical war games are inaccessible to the casual gamer. They're usually so complex that only hardcore grognards have the patience and understanding to get anything out of them. Shogun is the exception. It proves that a war game can adhere to standards of realism and fun. It's a great change of pace from the genre's usual offering of Civil War or Second World War games. Hopefully, it will convince more developers that you can make an alternative strategy game without having to rely on fantasy or science fiction type settings. See that little uh, that little slap there at fantasy and science fiction since Command and Conquer and Warcraft were like the biggest things. Uh, Starcraft. Grognard. Starcraft was ninety nine, like a dork, like a like a, just a dork. So are you? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very funny very very funny um oh. it's grognard is a slang for a war gamer basically that's all. gotcha okay all right well uh i think i pulled one more because i usually like to pull through reviews so i pulled a game spot review too what did game spot have to say about uh about this uh shogun total war well, GameSpot had to say that Shogun has a great subject and a perfect melding of strategic and tactical gameplay. The strategy portion is simple but very engrossing, while the tactical battles are very realistic, challenging, and entertaining exercises in military tactics. Shogun is a difficult game even on the default setting. But what's so great is that the challenge is grounded on the basic, real-world tenets, and common wisdoms of warfare. Spreading yourself too thin is an invitation for disaster. Alliances cannot be trusted for long. Feigning weakness is one of the few ways to goad your opponents to overextend themselves, and so on. When you get beaten in battle or outmaneuvered on the strategic map, in hindsight, it'll be clear to you why you lost, and thus easier for you to figure out how to do better the next time. Shogun is a very enjoyable game, as it keeps you honest by punishing you for your mistakes and richly rewarding you for your well-thought-out successes. It does have a smattering of problems, but it easily makes up for its shortcomings with its great design and engrossing gameplay. Since many recent strategy games have emphasized instantly gratifying tactical battles, it's refreshing to play a game that also rewards more long-term planning and tactical thinking. No matter which type of strategy game you prefer, you owe it to yourself to try Shogun. Holy shit. What? The cats. <laughs> You try getting this done in this. I just sent Rob a picture of my desk right now because I'm fostering a litter of kittens and they are all like there's six of them sitting on my desk right now watching me record this podcast. Um, yeah. Sometimes they like to swat at the screen when I move my mouse. I have to be very careful and deliberate with my movements. Hey, don't chew on that. That's the other thing. So, uh, yeah. So I agree. Shogun was a difficult game, but it was really satisfying. It was really satisfying because you actually had to learn. You had to learn how to fight battles like you had to legitimately think about it and plan and strategize. And like when you won, you won like it. It just you had to earn it. 
so yes, I, I do think it was a very difficult game, but it was a lot of fun. So, well, those were some critic reviews. Uh, I, you know, this came out in 2000, which it was easier to find uh, user reviews. So I was able to pull from all of our normal sources, Rob. I got Steam, Moby Games, and Metacritic for once. Ooh. So why don't you take the first one, uh, our little Steam review? Well, first up, we have user Sammy79 on Steam, who says that this is the original large-scale real-time battle simulator. This game made the name of the Creative Assembly and started off a massively successful franchise. For any game that made a splash back in 1999, it is increasingly difficult to describe just how mind-blowing titles like Shogun Total War were in their time. Getting beyond the rose tint of nostalgia, I hope to encourage you that while not without its significant flaws, and notwithstanding its relative crudeness regarding more modern titles, Shogun Total War really deserves the accolades it got. It remains one of the very few games I ever bought on release day after playing a demo for a month, back in a time when games came only on CDs. Right. <sighs> I know. I yeah. agree. I, I, it, it... Eh, technically not, though. They, they did come on cartridges at the time. Yeah, well, you know, uh, like I said, this is a clunky game. It, it, You didn't really know it until there was a sequel, because the sequel literally improved on absolutely everything. I mean, everything. Yeah, second and third times are always better. Yeah, exactly. Well, not, I don't I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, we can use uh, our family as a significant uh, oh, point of reference. Oh, I get that. I got it eh, now. Eh, Thought eh. We were talking about video games, but you just slighted me. Someone's got to do it, Dave. I just, he said it the same way I do. Like, it was awesome. It was, it was just blown. It blew my mind to suddenly have a game of this scale. That's the, that's, that's it. They have a game of this scale. That's the most amazing thing. So, all right. So what did our, our next uh, user review have to say? Well, next up, we have Roy Soderlund from Moby Games, who says that they feel the need to warn any reader of this review. This tactical strategy game does its best to capture the feel of the Sengoku period of Japan, in particular its battles. Had it a deeper diplomatic and role-playing aspect, they would have been banned from commenting on it since it would have been a game made specifically for them. <laughs> and, okay, I guess I really into the the Sengoku uh, period of Japan. The Sengoku yeah. period of Japan. I suppose I so. He's probably a grognard. Very, very likely they are that they are grognard. They continue saying that this is perhaps their favorite aspect of the game is that it's very historically accurate. Aside from the size of armies, still a limitation of computers to depict efficiency, most other aspects of the games are highly accurate. Stephen Turnbull, one of the Western world's most well-known experts on the period, was brought in as a consultant and it was not wasted. From the name of the generals, any fan of the time period will recognize most of the familiar faces among its leaders to the visual display of troops, their banners and the throne rooms. Takeda's throne room even has Shingen Takeda's famous battle motto. Everything feels right. There's even an option to turn all the spoken dialogue short of the intro and videos in one small glitch to Japanese for that last bit of authentic flavor. Often ignored by less serious games, Creative Assembly made a big deal about the incursion of Europeans into Japan during this period, the guns they brought, and the ramifications of the Catholic missionaries, which further divided Japan between the Christians and the traditional Buddhists. 
The only time authenticity comes to question is when the programmers needed to make a gameplay compromise. But even then, they often sided with making the game work towards the historical viewpoint. Very, very much a uh, uh, historically accurate. And then, yes, you could also bring Catholicism into it, which uh, which definitely create a different strategy, a different strategic element as well. If you converted to Catholicism, there were there were uh, other things going on. So, yeah, for sure. All right. We got one more. One more user review. What did what do we have here? We have user Mistofliga on Metacritic. I apologize if I butchered your name. Please tell us how to properly pronounce it if you're here listening. So they go on to say that in the year 2000, their mom bought them a home PC and they went to a game store to look for something to play. They always had a thing for ninja and samurai and Japanese history and culture in general. So when they saw this game on the shelf and how many awards it had recently won, they thought they'd give it a shot. Let them just say, this isn't just nostalgia speaking. They loved it back then and they would still occasionally play it up until September of last year. Uh, I don't know when I when they got it. They bought it until they got a modern gaming PC and got the sequel. How's that? Yeah, they played it until they got a modern gaming PC and got the sequel. Even so, they're sure they'll probably return to it from time to time. It has the most replay value of any video game that they've ever come across. Oh, I mean, I don't know how many video games you've played. I'm sure I could think of many that have more, but that's each their own. Let's talk about the Total War series, because uh, like I said, I hadn't visited for a while, but for a time period, I did uh, visit it. Um, and I, I, I won't go into them in detail because, you know, at some point we'll have an opportunity to talk about the games. But Rob, for your sake, um, some of the other games in the series is they did a medieval Total War. That was the second game they came out with. Mm-hmm. Um, they did Rome Total War, which, I mean, as you can imagine what it's about. They followed that up with uh, Medieval 2 Total War because that was really popular. So they redid that one. Uh, then they did Empire Total War, which was basically uh, 18th century America, America, North, like Native Americans, you know, that, that you know, French British war type deal. Um, after that, they did Napoleon Total War. Um, and then they followed that up in 2010 with Total War Shogun 2, which was, I looked at my library, that's the most recent of all of the Total Wars I own. They redid Total War Rome, they did a Total War Attila, which, you know, Attila the Hun. And then they did the the Warhammer series for actual uh, tabletop gamers. There are two Total War Warhammers. They have a third one coming out in December, which that crew is really popular, you know, excited for. There was a Thrones of Britannia, which, you know, Viking Viking people, you know, English, Welsh, and Gaelic. That's your Britannia stuff. They did yeah. three they did three kingdoms, which was the Han Dynasty, the Great Wall of China time period. They did a specific one on Troy, which was which they just narrowed the focus on that specific like Bronze Age. And yeah. That, so they've done a lot of a lot of them in a lot of time periods. And honestly, they've kind of improved on it each time. Like I said, I I played up the Total War Shogun 2. It improves on absolutely everything. It's worth a shot. Um, you know, not that the old one isn't. I still think there's merit to in them. But uh, yeah. And I think that's about all I have for this game. Rob, you have anything you want to add about this game? Something I briefly touched on you might want to ask another question about or anything like that? Um, no, I think that I just got to give it a try for myself and see what it's like, which I highly recommend all of you do as well. If you're unfamiliar with the game, because 
Uh, maybe you're not into this type of game, but I think it sounds like a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. If you like strategy, it's di- it's different. There aren't a lot of games. I mean, more so now than before, but there there aren't a lot of games that are like this tactical that approach battle from this standpoint. Although, like I said, I think more games do it now than used to. But it's it's they're probably among the most historically accurate, which is uh, which is a lot of fun. So, all right. Well, so I wanted to talk really briefly before we we wrap it up for the day. A really brief gaming question of the week. So since we're talking about the real time strategy genre today, I want you to either let's look back at games you've played or a, a, a game that you think should be made in the real time strategy genre. Tell me off the top of your head, what do you think is the most fun or ideal environment for a real-time battle, or maybe one that hasn't been made yet? Just something innovative in this genre. You you get what I'm saying? I honestly think we hit it right on the head with Star Wars. I There's not been a, a Star Wars-themed RTS, and I think that would be really awesome. And you could even have it be in multiple ap- apps. Uh, you could have it be in multiple aspects as well, because you think about it, you could have, like, the troop battles say that we're talking clone wars era so the the republic versus the separatists you would have the battles on kashik or tatooine or you could have battles in space outside the you know the blockades the separatists always had even if you went as far as the empire and did everything during the battle of yavin having something similar to that where you would be the battle of endor or you know all of that just being able to do that in real time I think definitely it would make more sense with the Clone Wars simply because of the size of the armies. Obviously, the Republic Army is much larger than the Rebellion, but uh, it's not unnotable to the size of either. And I think it would, you know, for someone as a Star Wars fan and real time strategy fan, that would be a great crossover. So let me ask you this Have you never played a Star Wars real time strategy? Are you unaware of whether or not one exists? I haven't played one, but I wasn't aware that there was one if there is. But it sounds like there is because you're saying it questioningly like I don't know about something. Yeah, I bought it when it first came out. So way back in 2006, they came out with a game. I just sent it to you on Discord. Uh, They came out with a game called Star Wars Empire at War, which was uh, a lot of what you just talked about. So they need to remake a modern one. I'll give I'll give you that. Uh, they have not made, and to be fair, you still would have been really young, you know, the, the and not into gaming a whole lot when that came out. But um, yeah, they need to. They definitely needed to make a modern RTS in 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 Star Wars. But uh, yeah, Star Wars Empire War. It's an it's an RTS. It's set in the classic Star Wars era, which is Rebels and Empires. You build buildings. You recruit units. Um, and when, uh, and when battles are triggered, you command various units and you could do it on the ground. You could do it in space. They had space battles too. Yeah. And so on and so forth. It was, it was a lot of fun. And funny enough, it was made by a lot of guys who worked on Command and Conquer. So they kind of took a lot of that and went into this game. Nice. Yeah. It's dated now because it was 2006, but it's. You know, I'm not a graphics person. It's probably still worth a play. Actually, I, I, I literally have it. I'm staring at the box right now. I, I bought this. I physically own this one. So nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, what about yourself? I thought you might have brought up 
I thought you might have brought up your your battle for uh, Middle Earth one too. You really liked that one. Um, I mean, you know that one. It would be nice to see a remake of that as well. But I, having never played this Star Wars Empire at War, I thought it would be more beneficial to have something like that. But even still, this seems older than that game was, and I I just feel that this could use a remake more so than uh, Lord of the Rings. Yep. Um, I like games like Civ, uh, or Empire Earth for that matter, that span the entire bit of history. Um, I like starting from a stone age and building up a civilization technology, you know, technologically and so on and so forth. And, um, in terms of Empire Earth, uh, I die laughing every time I nuclear bomb a civilization that's still in the Stone Age. It cracks me up every time. So I just really like things that span history. I, I like being able to grow and develop and change drastically. And so I just, I, I don't know. I have the most fun on things that are realistic, like being able to play on a map of Earth for real, you know? Right. So... Yeah, it's it's nice to it's nice to look back and wonder what if what if. And with that being said, if you wanted to look back and perhaps listen to some of our old episodes, there's a place you could do it. And that would be our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Also on our website, you can look at a calendar that's going to show you upcoming episodes. Uh, there's a place for you to contact us to submit your own gaming stories or gaming questions of the week. I'm always interested in what you all would like to hear from us. There is a link to join our Discord if you would like to join us for video games or just talk to us in general. And there's also a link to our Patreon where you could support us. On our Patreon, you can join for only $2 a month and support this fledgling podcast. Um, either do that through the support link on www.memorycardlane.com or at patreon.com slash trip down memory card lane. Um, there are biographies of Rob and I. There's just a bunch of really good stuff. Old episodes, show notes, all that jazz. And you can also find our social media links. I am on Twitter at David is wrong. David underscore is underscore wrong, where I uh, basically post about these episodes, wish video games happy birthdays and just random general stuff. Rob, what are you doing on social media these days? Well, Dave, I will be streaming games on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to take it on out of here. And as always, we start by looking back at the episode and talking about what we learned. You know, we like to talk about games. We like to teach you something. We like to teach you what games took from the world, their inspiration. And we like to teach you what games what what games gave back to the world in terms of their legacy. So, Rob, what was your takeaway for today? Well, I mean, obviously, you did teach me a little about the art of war, which is something that uh, I want to definitely read more on and learn and how that incorporated into not only this game, but so many of the RTS games that I've played, as well as obvious the, uh, you know, war in general but also that this game, even for its limitations of being made in as early as it was in 1999, the fact that it had 10,000 units on screen. Yeah, yeah well, well, I mean, they benefited from being like in, 
you know, you had battalions of a hundred or five hundred. You 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 get what I'm saying? Like they benefited from from that. And I mean, this was the the two D to three D. I'm not going to pretend they were the most detailed structures, you know, at the moment, but they were still a lot of fun to uh, to watch. I mean, you could literally watch the guys swinging swords at one another and someone, you know, a body laying on the ground type deal. So I'm not going to pretend they were just just stick figures, Dave. Ten thousand is still an impressive number for the time. Oh, no, it was better than stick figures. You're right. It was really impressive. It was. I mean, that was the scope of the game was the best thing about the game. Scope of the game was the best thing about the game. Did you learn anything in your studies, Dave? I did. I didn't know that Creative Assembly worked on FIFA in the beginning. You know, I you always really like learning about games and, you know, people that work in studios and pedigree because that's part of the history, which obviously is my thing. I had no idea that Creative Assembly went uh, back to FIFA. You know, I, I knew that they worked on this series. I knew that they did Halo 2 because that was part of the draw of our Halo Wars 2. That was part of the draw of it, that they were involved in it. But um, I didn't know about their beginning as uh, stunt car racer porters and then FIFA FIFA soccer or cricket or rugby or all those other games. So, yeah, always something to learn. Always something to learn. So fun times. Very, 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 very fun times. Anything that you'd like to add to this episode? Well, Dave, before I let you take us out i would just like to take a moment as always to say thank you to everyone for listening it means the world to us i definitely don't say that every episode so i just want to make sure you're all aware of that we are very appreciative and we hope you enjoy what you're listening to so feel free to tell us about it or feel free to just keep listening you know whatever you choose just what thank you what do we choose well we choose to talk every week but it's our listeners who have the choice to talk or to respond to us or to stay in the shadows and just listen from afar. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess with that, I'm going to take it out of here. Um, Rob, we got a big title next week. One that that's not so obscure. I, I feel like, I mean, we're not that we've been talking about obscure stuff, but we've definitely been talking about niche games for a few weeks now, but next week we're not, we're not talking about niche game. We're talking about a big game. We're talking about a game that started a franchise that's lasted years, a huge legacy, uh, one that has recently inspired a movie, probably the fastest video game character, arguably the fastest video game character. So if I say fast video game character, what do you think of? Slug. No, that's <laughs> no, definitely not a slug. I'm thinking it's probably Sanic the Fudgehog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so June 23rd, uh, 1991, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was released for the Sega Genesis in North America. And yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about uh, the Sonic team. We're going to talk about a little bit about the Sega. And we're going to talk a whole lot about Sonic the Hedgehog. So uh, join us again next week for another talk, for another lesson, for a supersonic trip down memory card lane do the thing do do ba 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 do i yeah <laughs>